0: Welcome to Fred with me, Rosie Bennett. Fred is the podcast that aims to demystify the learning process that we all go through in our lives, work and otherwise. I'll be talking to the champions in our field about the lessons that have defined their careers and help us to work out how we can learn from what they've already figured out. Nothing in life is a linear process. So let's get more at ease with the ups and the downs and realise that wherever we are in our journey, we really aren't alone. This podcast is brought to you by Augustine Strings, a company with real heart, a fascinating history, and my guitar string of choice. Check them out at augustinestrings.com. Today I talk to classical guitarist Jan Koch. Jan began playing guitar at age seven and since then has studied at barrett Douay the Norwegian Academy of Music, and the Robert Schumann Hochschule in Dusseldorf. She's performed all over the world as both a soloist and a chamber musician, including giving recitals at Ultima Contemporary Festival, Kunstsalon, and the Uppsala International Guitar Festival. She's also won over 10 international prizes, including scholarships in both national and international competitions. Jan and I first met three years ago during her nomadic period, and we bonded through our desire for structural change within the classical music world and our shared love of cowboy boots. Jan, what is a lesson you've learned that has been the most meaningful to you?
1: So for me, the lesson that I learned that has been the most meaningful, it's that investing in oneself is never a bad choice. It's never a bad decision. And of course when someone thinks of like investing in oneself that means like prioritize yourself. And as a musician and in this world that we kind of have immersed ourselves in, translating that lesson to us, it for me meant that as much as I appreciate and I value the opinions of others, that my opinion should matter the most mm-hmm. at the end of the day mm-hmm. and that lesson has really it took me a long time to learn it yeah not that I've been able to perfect it in any way but you know to have like a friendly reminder that as classical musicians we we have so much material to take into consideration this, you know history this composers life this interpretation that we need to take into consideration before we kind of shape anything. Mm -hmm. We do find ourselves kind of trapped sometimes in between a rock and a hard place that there's, you know, that we can't have an opinion of our own that, you know, when someone asks us, Why do you do this? Why Mm -hmm. do you phrase Mm -hmm. like this? Why do you have this fingering? You know, if I just imagine myself thinking or would say that no, it's because I like it. Mm-hmm. Actually, in so many ways, it should suffice, you know. For myself, I often forget that I also need to play for myself. You know, I was very, very fortunate to have been a student of Roberto Aussel, And he was the one who really taught me the essence and the importance of reading music and honing all of that knowledge and making sure that whatever you by the end of the day try to express it has weight to it so in my lessons with Roberto it we would talk about you know history and the composer maybe what he meant how he lived his life etc but he would also Stress the fact that if you do choose it another way that might be not counteractive, not opposite, but just different from what might have been meant, then at least make it really convincing. <laughs> like, really mean it, you know.
0: But what does really meaning it mean to you in this context? that it makes
1: musical sense. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the bottom line. It needs to make musical sense. Let's say that you have a passage where it goes from a crescendo to a fortissimo, mm-hmm. like this, uh, that goes to like a chord and then fortissimo. Uh, but then how, when you play it yourself, you might feel that actually it just makes more sense to do a decrescendo and then pianissimo. If you choose to kind of go in another direction than what is written, that what is written is crescendo, but you choose to do a decrescendo, then make sure that the moments both before that decrescendo happens and after the
0: decrescendo and the pianissimo happens, that it all makes sense. Okay, I see. So when you say musical sense, at least this is what I'm understanding, um, really what you mean is that the music lives and breathes in a way that is natural, something that reflects nature. Um, how do we go about making things make sense for us, for ourselves and you know, for our own opinion?
1: I mean, one thing is like the dimension that we have in ourselves, which is like what we hope that it would sound like. Mm -hmm. And then the dimension of how it actually sounds Mm -hmm. like, and then the dimension of how the audience perceive it, Mm. you know. And for me, it's about trying to align those
0: dimensions. um, That's to the best of my abilities. When did you start valuing your own opinion on a higher level? How did you get to that point? During my masters and kind of before, I was very,
1: I was more in the direction of it needs to be the way that the composer meant it. Mm -hmm. Like I was just a vessel, a medium for the music. Mm -hmm. Like my opinion didn't matter because, you know, it's written there. I don't need to think anything. I'm just the. Motorical muscular system that will give life Mm -hmm. to what is written in black and white. But when I started to get more concert through that, I chose to live a more nomadic lifestyle. So I just traveled a lot and Mm -hmm. just lived in my suitcase for like, what, a year and a half? Mm -hmm. That's when I really, really started to reconsider my way of thinking the pattern thoughts and also after I moved up here which is I'm in Sirkenes where king crabs outnumber the people and it's so like the silence here and the Mm. serenity here it has given me the opportunity to find my voice because there's no one else's voice now so it's been absolutely more prominent, this lesson, now more than ever. Though, you know, we still have our little voices in mm-hmm. our heads coming out, popping out once in yeah. a while.
0: Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And um, What is it that those voices are saying to you? The
1: voices tend to ask, are you sure about that?
0: Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Is that
1: what the composer wants? Are you sure that you... I do want to
0: do that, despite of what is written. Do you dare? Do, yeah. do you dare? Um, when did those sorts of thoughts start creeping into your consciousness? Was there a time that you remember? I mean, I remember when I was younger, I was a lot more rebellious, like
1: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> with the bunny ears. Mm. Um, and with rebellious, I mean, I just did whatever I wanted to. Uh In the music, I did not regard anyone else, not the composer, not my teacher, not anyone. It was just me and my way. Mm -hmm. But then I think it's the competition phase that I did in my life that played a big role. When you play and it's often that maybe, you know, at that time when I did a lot of competitions in my early 20s to mid late 20s. You want that feedback. You Mm. want that kind of continuation of growth and experience. And you want a very steep learning curve, Mm. right? You're just like... And that swamping in of, you know, when someone asks you, it's like, why did you choose to do this? Why did you choose this repertoire? Why, why, why? And you're trying to answer this. And for me, how I experienced it is... As beautiful of a journey that was and how much it taught me. I did find myself more often than not that simply by saying that that is something that I enjoy, Mm. that I personally enjoy, was not enough.
0: And do you think that that feeling of your opinion not being enough was something that came from an internal source or something external? Both. Because mm-hmm. I think it's important. I mean, we do
1: have one another for a reason, you know. We, mm-hmm. hopefully, we are there to help each other, and that's how I choose to see the feedback that I ever gotten in my life. Mm-hmm. No, no matter how harsh they kind of felt at that moment, you know, when you're in competition, you're super vulnerable, you mm-hmm. know. I try to see it in a way that you know they they're, they're meant to help ensure. I'm a little bit more selective of who I ask mm. opinion of, but I also make sure that before I do that, I make sure that I am happy with the performance
0: because
1: mm-hmm. if I'm happy, then actually no one else's opinion matter. It's only when I do not play great or I feel less that I gave less than I know what I'm capable of, mm-hmm. and then asking questions and like asking. For feedback, oof, girl, you're digging your own grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like, oh. it can be like that.
0: Jan, what is the lesson that you would like to impart?
1: I've learned that to take life not too seriously. Mm. You know, try to not take work too seriously. You know, try to you know, have fun with it. Mm-hmm. But there is actually three things in life that I do take very seriously. And that's the lessons that I would like to impart, which is kindness, understanding, and love. That's the three things in life that I do take very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I'm just, I just want to have fun. <laughs> when I was sitting with, these questions. Of course, I've kind of rambled down everything and I had so many thoughts. But all of these thoughts, they all boil down to these three things. It's kindness towards one another and also kindness towards yourself. And for us musicians, that means, you know, kindness when you practice. You know, kindness when you're on stage, kindness when things does not go the way that you have planned in your head, Mm. especially when you feel disheartened, when you feel unmotivated and you feel uninspired. Mm -hmm. Understanding, I think that's always something that we need more of. If someone, a fellow musician chooses to do something which is different from us, that we show understanding towards this, that it is one it is beautiful two it creates diversity mm-hmm. and three great that someone doesn't do exactly the same thing as us I mean hello how mm-hmm. boring would it be if we all ate cornflakes every day mm-hmm. and the last thing is love just love for yourself love for one another love for the instrument love for the music because without it it's um for me, I see love as like a natural force because if you don't love what you do, it's going to be quite painful to do what you're going to
0: do. You <laughs> yeah, know? that's definitely true. And I love those three things. Um, why do you think those things specifically are so important to you? Do you feel that you had love and kindness and understanding while you were growing up? As a kid, don't get me wrong, my parents are, <clears throat> they are the best and they
1: are super kind and You know, they do have a lot of love. It's just that when I was a kid, I didn't receive the love that I needed. Mm. And we didn't see, we just had a different love language and we just missed each other in so, so many different ways. Mm. So, unfortunately, I have to say no to this. I didn't feel that I had kindness when growing up and I didn't have that understanding because, yeah, I was very different from the rest of the family. And mm-hmm. they just did not have understanding for this. They did not have kindness nor love. They were not supportive of me doing this. Mm. To be a musician. So it was just. So many things that I felt that I kind of disappointed them in. Mm. Just just by living. Breathing. And being myself. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of this is that. That's how I. Learn to trust myself even more mm-hmm. like that's I believe that this is kind of where like my personal self gained a lot of confidence and understood that you know what I as long as
0: I have myself and I can trust myself trust my intuition trust my confidence and mm. in the classical world why do you think we end up not making decisions from a place of love and kindness and that understanding that you talk about?
1: i believe it's maybe just throwing a thought out there mm-hmm. it's because it's easier for us classical musicians to be that police mm-hmm. officer to arrest people yeah rather than like but in pop culture because it's young you know mm. it's not as established it's not in a you know, yeah, you sure you get pop classes in university nowadays, but you know classical music. it's been there for decades for centuries. it's It's a art form that has influenced so many other art forms, and that is also weaved deeply into other types mm. of art forms such as painting, architectural, everything. Mm. So I think it's in that way easier for us to become this police officer and
0: arrest people and then maybe even feel good about it,
1: Mm. maybe.
0: That is really interesting. I do feel like there is a big cancel culture in classical music and it's something that we don't even really talk about that much. Um, Massive amounts of judgment is just part and parcel of being part of the classical music world. And I feel like growing up in very rigorous music education There was a lot of policing, a lot of creation of black and white zones, sort of right or wrong dualities, a lot of creative censorship. And I do think a lot of that comes from people trying to make an exact science of music, which is, you know, inherently impossible. And it can be ultimately incredibly destabilizing in an existential way when it comes to thinking about what you're actually doing with your life as a teacher in this field. I think it just shows how desperate people are to make sense of something that in itself doesn't make sense the essence of it all like the fundamental of it all is that i
1: just want to be the person that i wish that i had when i was a kid Mm. the person that would tell me that yeah you can do it yeah you go and paint that and splatter some paint on that wall yeah you can do it it's going to look fantastic you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also genuinely mean it Mm.
0: I have to say I do think it's something that we miss in classical music education that kind of wonder and the reverence for creation but not in the sense that you can do something wrong or that you can disrespect a certain tradition but that there's so much wonder there and we should really be teaching kids to find that to foster that curiosity and create something because passing down knowledge is one thing but nobody can be right in this field and I think that's something we need to talk about a little bit more because we should really be teaching children how they can manifest their creativity and their curiosity into things that people can enjoy together instead of curbing creativity in a way to only serve a right and wrong that doesn't exist at all. But okay, before we get uh, on another tangent here, I'm gonna ask you my third and final question, Jan. What is the lesson that you are currently working on?
1: Well, what I currently working on is the ability to trust myself when it comes to being a musician, when it comes to being an artist, and feeling confident in the art musical and the artistic choices that I make. You know, this confidence is particularly needed when I'm at the final stages of learning a piece and about to perform it. And it's like those weeks before that I just tend to just crumble apart. I fall apart and I think to myself, what am I doing? I need to revisit everything. Am I really sure that I'm going to do this instead of just practicing performing it? You know, and I, I and I want to believe I'm not alone when I say this, you know, that I'm just all of a sudden I second question every single turn, every single move, every single decision that has ever made throughout this piece. I'm just like, wait. Is this correct? Wait, did I practice enough? Wait, is this is this really the finger that I want to do? Oh, is this really what I want to say? And um, just everything just gets under microscope, which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, when you're working on a piece, you're like in the working stage, the beginning stage, this is perfect. This is what you want. But just right before going on stage, I just, my inner saboteur loves to come out and play.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, when I'm on stage, that's a different thing. It's like walking to the stage is one thing. But actually, when you're sitting there, once I hit the first note, that's it. Like you just have to. It's like a free fall almost. And we're just on a journey together. And that for me is so important. Like The audience for me, it's just as, if not more important than me. But it's it's the moments before, like the weeks before, the days before, even a month, you know, months before that, you know, no matter how long I've played a piece or no matter how thoroughly I have worked on a piece, it's still, it can still be such a hardship to get to the point where I feel confident and I'm like, yeah, I can do this. Now it's, it's showtime, you know. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, do I want to play this? I don't know. Maybe I should cancel a concert. (laughs) And I think that this inner dialogue, it's for me is what really trips me. So like more often than not. And in those, when that stage kind of hits, you know, I just recorded last week at a beautiful chapel up here, you know, by the Russian border. It was super beautiful. And that's when it, like when I went through the questions afterwards for the episode, it just made so much sense. Like that is so often what happens with me. I, I tend to lose all faith in myself, all trust. It just, all the practicing that I'd done beforehand just went straight out the window, you know. And that for me is something that I need to work on just on a daily basis, you know, making sure that I trust myself in the choices that I make and kind of remind myself all the time, yeah, this is,
0: or this is right for me. Has there been a time when that self-doubt has been particularly crippling for you? It surfaced,
1: particularly during like the competition, surprise, surprise, Mm. phase, you know? Yeah. It's like, if I did not perform well, it just meant that I was a bad person. Mm. And that kind of direct line that you're playing and you're performing has to your personal value of that can be that can be quite disruptive
0: absolutely it is very difficult to separate those two entities. I think it's something that people struggle with the most when they do anything artistic actually um, who are you outside of what you do um. But do you feel now that in this journey you're on to trust yourself and in a way find yourself that you can better make a distinction between those different sides of you, those different facets of who you are? Um, And I was wondering, what are those sides and how do those different parts about you differ?
1: I feel very confident in my own skin you know like i i know myself really well and i i know what kind of energy i exude i know what works for me what doesn't mm-hmm. work for me and i am very unafraid to speak my mind mm-hmm. and if it rubs people the wrong way then honey that's not my problem however with my work self mm-hmm. like my musician self and my artist self
0: mm-hmm.
1: she's way more insecure
0: mm-hmm.
1: Like, if she hears something that might rub her the wrong way, she's like, I need to go home and cry for a moment. (laughs) And then I will get back to you. (laughs) I guess I'm trying to immerse more of my personal self into my artist self. That, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm just going to do this. If people hate it, then luckily that's not on me. That's on them. Mm -hmm. Because I need to make myself happy. And that's how I do on my day-to-day basis, you know? Mm. One characteristic within one individual does not necessarily neutralize another characteristic Mm -hmm. in the same human being. So that means as much as you are unafraid and bold and brave, you can be just as scared and fearful, you know, as much as someone is sweet and kind and pillowy soft, Mm. they can be super hard and, you know, so that's also why I'm I'm more I'm more wary of mm-hmm. describing myself when someone asks me it's like how would you describe yourself I'm like ah oh, that's not really my task mm. because I become someone not different but different people bring out different things in me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I guess the guitar kind of brings out this more unsure, insecure, still searching, still curious,
0: part of me. Thank you for listening to Fret Not. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, and subscribe to be the first to listen to each new episode as soon as it's released. Join me in two weeks' time, where I'll be talking to Nicholas Hauman about the origins of Open Strings Berlin, fluid identity and how to escape the sunk cost fallacy.